Chapter Twenty of Darnley by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty. Not rain she finds the charmful task in pageant quaint in motley mask. Collins. During this expedition of Henry and Sir Osborne, Lord Darby had acted with more prudence than might have been expected from one so light and volatile as himself, but with all the levity of youth he had a great fund of shrewdness and good sense which enabled him keenly to perceive all the weaknesses of the king's character and adapt his own behaviour exactly to the circumstance whenever he was brought particularly in contact with the monarch in the present instance seeing that the spirit of mystery had seized upon henry he consented to forego all more active amusement so that when the king and his young companion returned they found the earl seated in the saloon wherein Sir Osborne had been armed, never having quitted it during their absence. Henry was in high spirits. All had gone well with him. His expedition had been both successful and secret, and he was not a little pleased to find that the earl had not joined any of the gay parties of the court while he had been away. "'Ha, my lord!' cried he as he entered. "'Still here. You have done well. You have done well. "'Tis a treasure you have brought me.' this good knight snell unlace my cask i must thank you for him as a gift for he is now mine own he outdoes all expectation nay say not against it sir osborne i should be able to judge of these matters i have broken spears enough and i pronounce you equal to any knight at this court call some one to undo these trappings but darby you must not quit the court to-night dine here tis time if faith near one o'clock and take sir osborne morris with you make him known to the best of the court say the king holds him highly but stay he added i have forgot and sending for the sub-controller of the household he gave commands that the young knight should be furnished with apartments in the palace from that moment and received the appointment of a gentleman of the privy chamber the number is complete he continued turning to sir osborne but nevertheless you shall be rated as such and yourself and men provided in the palace see it be done sir john harvey darby return hither privately with your friend at nine to-night we have a mask and revel afoot but take no heed to send to london for disguise we will be your furnishers i hope sir said the sub-controller as the knight and his friend followed him from the presence you are aware that only three servants are allowed to a gentleman of the privy chamber Three will be as much as I shall have occasion for,' answered the knight. "'The other shall remain in London.' "'If you will follow me, then,' said the officer, "'I will show you to the apartment. "'Ho, send me a yeoman usher there,' he continued, speaking to a servant who passed. "'This way, sir, we shall find the rooms.' "'What?' cried Lord Darby, after they had ascended a good many steps in one of the wings of the building. "'Are you going to put my friend in a third story? think sir john harvey may not the king find it strange when he hears that a knight he honours with his regard has been so lodged i can assure you my lord answered the controller they are absolutely the only ones in the palace vacant which are at all equal to the knight's quality and in truth were it not for the height are among the best in the palace they are large and spacious exactly the same size as those which were appointed yesterday by the queen's command for lady constance de grey and which are immediately underneath i was going to offer sir osborne the use of mine said lord darby with a laughing glance towards the knight till you could find him better 
but if they are so very good as you say maybe he will prefer having his own at once ha huh, sir osborne the controller looked solemn seeing there was some joke and not understanding it but however he was joined in a moment after by a yeoman usher bearing a bunch of keys from which he selected one and opened the door at which they had been standing while the earl spoke a little antechamber conducted into three others beyond all very well furnished according to the fashion of the day with a beautiful view of the wild park from the windows of some of the rooms and of the river from the others on which advantage the worthy sub-controller descanted with much the tone and manner of a lodging-house keeper at a watering place little knowing that one word regarding the proximity of constance de grey would have been a higher recommendation to the young knight than all the prospects in the world though he loved the beautiful and varied face of earth as much as any one go to the wardrobe of beds usher said the officer when he had promenaded the knight and lord darby through the apartment go to the wardrobe of beds and tell the undermaster to come hither and garnish this apartment with all speed as i do not know the honourable knight's face continued he it is probable that he is new to this court and is not aware of the regulations which therefore i will make bold to tell him dinner and supper are served at the board of estate every day at noon and at nightfall no rear suppers are given nuncheons beverages or breakfast but to each gentleman of the privy chamber his grace commands a livery every night a livery said sir osborne pray sir john what is that its value sir said the controller depends upon the station of the person to whom it is given i have known it cost as much as ten pounds such was sent every night to the gentlemen who come to seek the princess mary for the french king but the livery given by his grace the king to the gentlemen of the privy chamber and others bearing the same rank is a cast of fine manchet bread two pots of white or red wine at choice one pound weight of sugar four white lights and four yellow lights of wax and one large staff torch which is delivered every evening at seven of the clock without proceeding further with such discourse we shall merely say that the arrangement of sir osborne's apartment was soon completed himself unarmed his servants furnished with what modern lackeys would call dog-holes and with truckle-beds and having by intercession with a gentleman wearing black velvet and a gold chain and calling himself the chief cook obtained some dinner for the board of estate having been long cleared lord darby and sir osborne sauntered forth on the parade where the young gallants of the court were beginning to show themselves some taking as it were a furtive walk across afraid to be seen there before the moment of fashion sanctioned their appearance and some who from either ignorance or boldness heeded no mode but their own convenience fashions are nine times out of ten affectations affectations in those who lead and in those who follow and as it is now so was it in the days of henry the eighth the presence of lord darby however who gradually gathered round him a little multitude as he walked soon rendered the parade more populous sir osborne was introduced to all who were worthy of his acquaintance and the same persons who three days before might hardly have given him a courteous answer if he had asked them a question were now mortified at not being numbered with his acquaintance the knight himself however was absent and inattentive his eye continually seeking lady constance de grey through the crowd and his mind sometimes occupied with pleasing dreams of love and hope and happiness to come 
and sometimes pondering over his unexpected encounter with Sir Payan Walton and its probable results. So strange is the world that this very abstractness of manner and carelessness in regard to those about him had its grace in the eyes of the court. They seemed to think that he who cared so little about anybody must be somebody of consequence himself, and when, after a prolonged saunter, the two friends re-entered the palace, Sir Osborne's name had acquired a degree of éclat which the most attentive politeness would scarcely have obtained. Still no Constance de Grey had he seen, and he sat down in the apartments of Lord Derby, not peculiarly satisfied with their walk. The young earl himself had also suffered a similar disappointment, for in the midst of all the nonchalant gaiety which he had displayed to the crowd, his eye had not failed to scan every group of ladies that they met for the form of Lady Katrine Bulmer, and he felt a good deal mortified at not having seen her. But very different was the manner in which his feelings acted from the deeper and more ardent love of Darnley. He laughed, he sung, he jested his companion upon his gravity, and in the end consoled him by assuring him that they should meet with both their lady-loves that night at the Queen's, so that if he were not in a very expiring state, he might hope to live to see her once more. The hours quickly flew, and a little before nine the knight and his companion presented themselves at the door of the king's private apartments, where they were admitted by a page. When they entered, Henry was reading, and pursued the object of his study without taking any notice of their approach by word or sign. Nothing remained to be done but to stand profoundly still before him, waiting his good pleasure, which remained full a quarter of an hour unmanifested. "'Well, gentlemen both,' cried the king at last, starting up and laying down the book, "'I have kept ye long, ha? Huh? But now, to make amends, I will lead ye to the fair ladies. Oh, the disguises, the disguises! Bring the disguises, Minton! The three I chose but now. You, Darby, shall be a Muscovian. You, Morris, a Polacco. And I, an Almain. Say, Darby, did you see my good Lord Cardinal this morning ere you came?' "'Holds he his mind of going to York, as he stated yesterday?' "'I did not see the very reverend lord this morning,' replied Lord Derby, "'who was Wolsey's ward, as well as the chief lord of his household. "'But his master of the horse informed me that he still proposed going at ten this morning. "'Your grace knows that he never delays when business calls him, "'and in the present case he thinks that his presence may quell the murmurers of Yorkshire, as well as Lord Howard has put down the Rochester fools. "'Ah, twas a shrewd business, that of Rochester,' said the king. "'Now would I give a thousand marks to know who twas that set that stone a-rolling. Be you sure, Darby, that the brute shipwrights would ne'er dream such a thing themselves. They were set on, man. Ha! The disguises. Quick, come into this closet, and we will robe us. Tis late, and our lady has promised to give, as well as to receive, a mask.' So saying, Henry led the way to a cabinet at the side of the saloon in which they were, and here the two young lords offered to assist in dressing him, but of this he would not permit, bidding them haste with their own robes, or he would be ready first. The disguise assigned to Sir Osborne was a splendid suit of gold brocade, trimmed with fur, intended to represent the dress of a pole. Having a sort of pelisse with sleeves of rich gold damask and sables thrown over the back, and held by a baldric, crossing from the right shoulder under the left arm. 
his head was covered with a square bonnet of cloth of gold like his dress with an edge of fur and his face concealed by a satin mask with a beard of golden threads the dress of lord darby was not very dissimilar with only this difference that in place of the pelisse he was furnished with a robe with short sleeves and wore on his head a sort of turban or tuck with a high feather in a very different style was the king's disguise being simply a splendid german dress of cloth of gold trimmed with crimson velvet but certainly not so unlike his usual garments as to afford any great degree of concealment all being masked and prepared henry sent the page to see if the torch-bearers were ready and issuing out of the palace the three maskers preceded by half a dozen attendants crossed the greater quadrangle passed out at the gate and making a circuit round the building came immediately under the windows of the queen's great hall from each of which a broad blaze of light flashed forth upon the night and cast a line of twinkling splendour across the river that otherwise flowed on dark and indistinct under a clouded and moonless sky sir osborne said henry in a low voice as they entered the open doors and turned into a suite of compartments anterior to the room where the queen held her assembly sir osborne your voice being unknown you shall be our orator and in your fine wit seek a fair compliment for our introduction had his face been uncovered perhaps the young knight might have sought to excuse himself but there is wonderful assurance in a mask and feeling a boldness in his disguise which perhaps the eye of constance de grey might have robbed him of had he not been concealed from its glance he at once undertook the task saying that he would do his best as he spoke a couple of old boys by which henry was preceded paused at the entrance of the great hall and placing themselves on each side began a light duet to announce that some masks were coming the doors were thrown open and a splendid scene burst on the view of sir osborne full of bright and glittering figures fleeting about in the blaze of innumerable lights like the gay phantasms of a brilliant dream the knight instinctively paused but henry urged him on quick quick whispered he to the lady to the lady you forget your task sir osborne instantly recollected himself and seeing a lady who standing unmasked at the farther end of the hall bore about her that air of royalty and that majestic beauty scarcely touched by time for which the noble catherine was famous he advanced directly towards her and bent one knee to the ground nature had given him somewhat of a poet's inspiration which came now happily to his aid and if his verses were not very good they were at least ready lady of beauty queen of grace strangers three have come to thee to gaze on thine unclouded face where so many maskers be oh never shade that brow so high with the mummer's painted while sure you keep that lip and eye welcome on your slaves to smile i thank you fair sir i thank you replied the queen with a pleased and gracious smile be most welcome you and your company i should know you and yet i do not but will you not dance choose your fair ladies and chamberlain bid the music sound sir osborne passed on and the king and lord darby followed excellent well my knight excellent well whispered henry now show your wit in a choice of a fair dame if faith one must be keen in these same marks to tell the foul from the fair 
However, let us disperse and find the jewels, though they be hid in such strange rhymes. At the word, the three maskers took different paths among the various figures, with which the hall was now nearly filled. Lord Darby and the knight, each in search of the object of his love, while Henry, as yet unrecognised, glided through the apartment, it might be in quest of some fair one also. For some time Sir Osborne sought in vain, bewildered amongst the crowd of quaint disguises with which he was surrounded. Now he thought he beheld the form of Lady Constance here, and after following it for a moment was called away by the sight of one that resembled her more. That again he gave up, convinced by some turn or some gesture that it was some other. Another presented itself, which perhaps he might have mistaken, but the gay flutter of her manner at once showed that it was not the person he sought. He saw that already Lord Darby had found his partner, the tuning of the musical instruments was over, and mentally cursing his own stupidity, or his own ill-fortune, he was proceeding once more towards the part of the room where stood the Queen, with his heart beating between eagerness and vexation, when he beheld a lady, dressed in silver brocade, with a plain satin mask, glide into the hall, and passing by several who spoke to her, approach that spot, as if to take a seat which stood near. Sir Osborne darted forward. He felt that it was her, and eager to prevent any one intercepting him, almost startled her with the suddenness of his address. "'Fair mask,' said the lady, in a voice that trembled with delight and hope, "'will you tread a measure with a stranger, for courtesy's sake?' "'I should know your voice,' said the lady, in a low tone, "'but I can scarce believe I see you here. "'But one word, to tell me who you are?' My motto, replied the knight, is Constance, the my crest, my lady's glove. The lady instantly put her hand in his. Darnley, said she, in a voice so low as to be inaudible to any one but himself, who, bending his head over her, trembled to catch every accent. Ah, Constance, he replied in the same subdued tone. What is it I have dared to say to you? What is it I have dared to hope? friendless and fortuneless as i am can you ever pardon my boldness hush she said for pity's sake speak not in that way now i know you love me that is enough friendless you are not and fortuneless you cannot be when all that is constance's is yours but see they are going to dance afterwards we will speak more do not think me bold darnley or too easily won but were i to affect that reserve which still perhaps might be right we are so circumstanced that we might be ruined before we understood each other. The knight poured forth a thousand thanks, and strove to explain to Lady Constance how deeply grateful he felt for that generous candour which is ever the companion of the truest modesty. And the music now beginning, he led her through the dance with calm and graceful ease. As soon as the measure was ended, the Queen's Chamberlain pronounced with a loud voice that in the other halls the knights and ladies who had danced would find cool air and shady bowers, and gladly taken advantage of this information, Sir Osborne led his partner into the chamber beyond, which, by the Queen's device, had been divided into a thousand little arbours, where artificial trees and shrubs, mingled with real ones, and often ornamented with gilt fruit or flowers, formed a sort of enchanted garden, for the dancers to repose themselves not very exquisite in its taste indeed but very much to the taste of the day 
singling out the farthest of all the arbours and the one which permitted its occupants most easily to observe the approach of any other party darnley led lady constance to one of the seats which it contained and placing himself by her side paused for a moment in silence to enjoy the new delights that came thrilling upon his heart oh constance said he at length looking up to the sweet hazel eye that gazed upon him through the meaningless mask never never did i think to know such happiness on earth could i have dreamed of this when i left you for flanders i do not know replied constance i have done nothing but think ever since you took my glove and i have fancied that my dear father foresaw this and wished it as you tell me he was aware who you were but never even at that age was i permitted to know and converse with and see intimately any young cavalier but yourself but then do not you remember when you used to teach me to shoot with the bow how he would stand by and praise your shooting oh i can call to mind a thousand things to make me think so could i but believe it said darnley i should be even happier than i am but still dear constance i hope i trust that in the end i may be enabled to seek your hand not as an outcast wanderer your good cousin lord darby has brought me to the knowledge of the king whose favour i have been happy enough to gain he has retained me as one of the gentlemen of his privy chamber appointed me apartments in the palace which are just above your own and i hope so far to win his regard by this opportunity that he may be induced to hear my cause against the villain who has seized our inheritance and do justice to us at last and then constance with rank and fortune and favour all restored darnley may hope and what if it is not restored darnley said lady constance do you think that rank or fortune or favour will make any difference in the regard of constance de grey no darnley if but i won't say if you love me the cardinal may do what he will but i will never wed another he may find means as they hint to forfeit my english lands yet he cannot take my french ones and even if he did i would rather be beggar and free than married to a man i do not love not that i do not love darby as my cousin he is kind and generous and frank but oh it is very very different but you say that he introduced you to the king i did not know you were even acquainted it is a long story dear constance replied the knight i will give it to you some other time but now tell me while we are yet uninterrupted how may i see you to watch for you even to catch a word during the day certainly were delight but still tis hard situated as we are not to be able to communicate together more freely may not i come to see you certainly replied lady constance but you know that i can hardly have any private conversation with you even when you do for good dr wilbraham is with me the greater part of the morning and one of my women always she paused for a moment in thought and raising her eyes to his darnley she said i never could love a man in whose honour i could not entirely confide therefore i do not think it shows me either weak or wrong when i say that i will be entirely guided by you we are not situated as people in general and therefore we cannot act as people in general do tell me then what you think right and i will do it but here are two of the maskers coming directly towards us say what must i do it is necessary constance said the knight quickly 
absolutely necessary that i should sometimes be allowed half an hour's conversation alone especially at the present moment i will come to-morrow early very early if it can be then may i yes said lady constance i will see but who are these they are coming to us it is lord darby said the knight and if i mistake not lady katrine bulmer dear polacho cried lord darby approaching with a lady who to use an old writer's description was wondrous gay in her apparel with a marvellous strange and rich tire on her head dear polacho i am but now aware of how much i have to thank you for what you were near tilting at the rochester host and broaching me half a dozen plank-shavers on your spear in defence of a fair lady and also took my part even before you knew me now will i guess who is this silver fair one by your side she's blushing through her mask as if i were going to pronounce her name with the voice of a trumpet well sweet cousin will you own that you have a wild and rattle-pated relation in the good town of westminster and if so though you cannot love him will you love a very lovable creature for his sake hush madcap let me speak said the voice of lady katrine bulmer lady she continued placing herself by the side of lady constance will you hate one that would fain love you very much and have your love again heaven forbid replied lady constance tis so sweet to be loved ourselves that feeling it we can scarce refuse it again to those that love us with a reservation though she added granted the reservation that there is still a one must be loved best said lady katrine we all four know it and she glanced her merry eyes round the circle oh what a happy thing is a mask here one may confess one's love or laugh at one's friends or abuse one's relations without a blush and surely if they were worn always they would save a world of false smiles and a world of false tears oh strange economy what an ocean of grimaces might be spared if man were but to wear a pasteboard face i am afraid that he does so more than you think lady replied sir osborne you will own that his countenance is hollow and that its smiles are painted in short that it is all a picture though a moving one listen to him cried lady katrine raising her look to lord darby think of his having the impudence to moralize in the presence of two women would you have believed it nay fair lady it was you who led the way replied sir osborne but what means that trumpet in these peaceful halls tis either a sound to supper replied lord darby or the entrance of one of those pageants of which our gracious king is so fond at all events let us go and see thus speaking he led away lady katrine gaily to the door towards which all the other parties from the enchanted garden were now proceeding sir osborne and lady constance followed more slowly darnley said the fair girl as she leaned on his arm i know not what sort of a presentiment led me hither to-night for i have been so vexed and so distressed with much that has happened since my arrival in london that i can hardly call myself well i am now much fatigued and if i can escape i will hie me to my bed when you come to-morrow you shall answer me a thousand questions that i have to ask oh i see i can pass round by that other door farewell for this night oh that i dared hope it had been a happy one to you as it had been to me said the knight still holding her hand with a fond and lingering pressure it has darnley it has 
replied Lady Constance. It has been one that I shall never forget. Farewell. And turning away, she passed out of the door at the side, which led to the apartments in that wing of the building. Not, however, without one look more into the room where her lover stood gazing still, to catch the last glance of that graceful figure ere it left his sight. When she was gone, the young knight, with a high-beating heart, turned to the door of the great hall, and entered with some of the last lingerers, who were now changing their slowness into speed, in order to get a place before the pageant entered. The thoughts of Sir Osborne, however, were employed on so much more engrossing subjects, that he took no pains to hasten his steps, till he was fairly within the chamber, when, seeing the whole of the guests arranged on the farther side of the hall, with the queen at the centre, under the canopy or cloth of estate, he felt the impropriety of standing there alone, and hastened to seek a place. At that moment he observed Henry, who, still disguised, was seated amongst the rest, and who made him a sign to take a place beside him. Notwithstanding his mask, however, it was very evident that the king was known, for on his sign to Sir Osborne all around made way for the young knight to approach the monarch. Scarcely had he taken his seat when, through the great doors of the hall, a huge machine was rolled in, before which extended a double cloth of arras, so arranged as to hide every part of the gugor within, only leaving a twinkling light here and there, seen through the crevices, like the lamps that, through the cracks of the last scene in a pantomime, announce the brilliant change that is soon to take place to the temple of love or Venus, or some other such sweet power that deals in pasteboard and spangles but such a thing can never be so well described as in the words of those who saw it, and whose old stiff style harmonizes admirably well with the quaint and graceless show that they detail. We shall therefore only so far modify the account which Hall, the chronicler, gives of this very pageant as to render him generally intelligible. Then, says he, there was a device or pageant brought in, out of which pageant issued a gentleman richly apparelled that showed how in a garden of pleasure there was an arbour of gold wherein were lords and ladies much desirous to show pleasure and pastime to the queen and ladies if they might be licensed so to do who was answered by the queen how sire and all other there were very desirous to see them and their pastime when a great cloth of arras that did hang before the same pageant was taken away and the pageant brought more near. It was curiously made and pleasant to behold. It was solemn and rich, for every post or pillar thereof was covered with frieze gold. Therein were trees of hawthorn, eglantines, roses, vines, and other pleasant flowers of diverse colours, with gillifers and other herbs, all made of satin, damask, silk, silver, and gold, according as their natural trees, herbs, or flowers ought to be in which arbour were six ladies, all apparelled in white satin and green, set and embroidered full of H and K of gold, knit together with laces of gold damask, and all their garments were replenished with glittering spangles gilt over, and on their heads were bonnets all opened at the four quarters, over frieze with flat gold of damask. In this garden also were six lords, apparelled in garments of purple satin, all of cuts with H and K, every edge garnished with frieze gold, and every garment full of poses, made in letters of fine gold and bullion, as thick as might be, 
and every person had his name in like letters of massy gold. The first, Coeur Royal, the second, Bon Volure, the third, Bon Espoir, the fourth, Valiant Désir, the fifth, Bon Foi, the sixth, Amour Loyal. Their hose, caps, and coats were full of poses and HKs of fine gold in bullion, so the ground could scarce appear, and yet in every void place were spangles of gold. When time was come, the said pageant was brought forward into presence, and then descended a lord and lady by couples, and then the minstrels which were disguised also danced, and the lords and ladies danced, that it was a pleasure to behold. Such is Old Hall's description of the pageant which now entered, and it may easily be imagined that Sir Osborne, accustomed to a less luxurious court, was somewhat astonished at the splendour of the scene, if he was not much gratified by the good taste of the device. When the eye of Henry, pampered with such gaudy food from day to day, had taken in enough of the pageant, he rose from his seat, and waving his hand for the musicians to cease, "'Thanks, gentle lords and ladies, thanks!' he cried, and taking off his own mask, added, "'Let us ease our faces of their visards.' As he spoke, every one rose and unmasked, and Henry, taking Sir Osborne by the hand, led him forward to the Queen, while all eyes naturally fixed upon them. "'Fair lady mine,' said the King, "'I bring you a good knight, Sir Osborne Morris, who, as you see, has wit at will, and who, I can vouch, is as keen a champion in the saddle as he is a graceful dancer in the hall. In short, he is a very gentle, perfect knight, whom you must cherish and receive for my love. While Sir Osborne knelt and kissed the hand that she extended to him, Catherine replied, Indeed, my lord, you have brought me one that I have longed to see. This is the good knight who, on his journey towards London, took charge of my giddy girl and namesake, Katrine Bulmer and defended her from the rochester rioters come hither kate and in our presence thank the knight for all the trouble i am sure he had with thee upon the road nay your grace said lady katrine advancing i have thanked him once already and men are all too saucy and conceited to thank them twice tis thou art saucy my fair mistress said the king laughing and then bending down his head to the queen who was still seated he whispered something to her which made her smile, and raise her eyes to the knight and Lady Katrine. "'A handsome pair, indeed,' said she, in reply to what the king had whispered. "'But the banquet is ready.' "'Lords and ladies,' said Henry, raising his voice, "'our royal mistress will not let us part without our supper. All then come in pairs, for in the white hall is prepared a banquet. Sir Osborne, lead in Lady Katrine there. You shall be coupled for an hour at least.' Sir Osborne glanced his eye to Lord Derby, but the Earl was perfectly master of his countenance, and looking as indifferent as if nothing had happened, led in some other lady, while the knight endeavoured to entertain Lady Katrine as well as he might, labouring under the comfortable assurance that she would very much have preferred another by her side. End of chapter 20